find out what our next guest, Jonathan Flowers, has to say about what leadership qualities he learned from being a former NFL player and an Army veteran that was instrumental in it for investing in himself and the people around him. Hello, you are listening to The Power of Investing in People with Shay Sparks. I had the honor of being on the show with Shay and wow, how authentic she is and how much I know that she wants to keep hope alive in the community. So thank you all for joining. And everyone here today, I'm offering a special to all active duty or retired military to my all access on-demand training where we learn how to dream, believe, and achieve our best life. Please visit at timlanefitness.com and I'll see you all soon. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Power Investing in People podcast. I am your host, Shay Sparks, Chief Excitement Officer of Sparks of Fire International, where we get you fired up about your life and your business by transforming trauma into treasure. Check out my new co-author collaborative book called Hashtag Firestarters, How to Be a Spark of Hope in the Midst of Change on my website at shaysparks.com. And I invite you to connect with me with all my social media links like YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook while you're there. And today, our guest is the amazing Jonathan Flowers. So Jonathan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me here, Shay. I was looking forward to this, and I was very excited about this morning. And by the way, how was your day going so far? <laughs> <laughs> it's going well. Thank you. It's uh, beautiful weather here. The sun is shining, and you know that I feel like I'm solar-powered, so that always makes me happy. Oh, that's good. <laughs> how about yourself? It's going great. Great morning here. I'm, I'm, for those who are listening, I'm based in California, so the weather here is usually really pretty, pretty nice. So it's been great. Awesome. And I want to give a shout out to Jason Holzer, who introduced us. Yeah, great to Jason. I appreciate him. Always great to meet new people. It's been always exciting with that. He's great at networking and connecting people together. Yeah, and you're doing um, something with him. What is the, the, is it the podcast that you're on with him? Yeah, so Jason and his partner, Jim, who are, they run a company called 40 Athletes, which is utilizing sports to help mentor and grow and give keep kids life lessons and, and young athletes life lessons to better further self in life. But sports is the vehicle for that. But I also have a segment on their show called I Am a Champion based off a YouTube video I did. And they reached out to me. I did a show with them. And they said, hey, let's have our own segment. So I bring out my own guests as well as Jason's guests and talk about all kinds of things, not just sports, but you know, about mental health, about how, how we, the climate during now, about diversity, women in sports, how business and sports work together, you know, all kinds of stuff. So I would encourage you to check it out, people that go to YouTube, Google, um, search 4D Athletes, or 4D Athletes, I'm a champion, and check out some of our podcasts. They're really great, and they can be really fun. Awesome. I love that. I love that you're a part of Jason's world. He's doing such amazing things over there. Yes, he is. <laughs> Yes. And for those of you who don't know, Jonathan Flowers is a father, combat veteran, former NFL player, and marketing consultant. He spent three years with the Los Angeles Raiders and for a few years in NFL Europe, as well as played some arena football with the San Jose Sabercats with their inaugural season. His dad, brother, nephew, and four cousins all played with the NFL. And one of his cousins, Vanetta Flowers, was one of the first African-American to win a gold medal in the Winter Olympics, as well as his great-great-grandfather, Theodore Tiger Flowers, was the first African-American to be inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame. Coming from a family like this, sports and being competitive are definitely genetic. (laughs) And throughout his 25-plus marketing career, He has run every aspect of creative services to agency work and marketing in all forms, from being the department head who hires the vendors and creative talent to supervising design and demand gen teams, both graphic and web, client interaction, account and project management, and strategic implementation for almost every type of product line or service. And you can connect with Jonathan on LinkedIn, and we will have the link in the show notes as well. 
So Jonathan, it is just, I'm so honored to have you here. And when we started talking just literally a few days ago, it was like, yes, you have such a great story. I can't wait to share it. So we always like to start off with the first question of what does investing in people mean to you? I think investing in people means giving up your time. It's easy to donate money or tell people great things or give them advice, but when you're giving people your time, the young kid doesn't have someone around and you're spending time from after school. Somebody has had bad relationship issues and you're spending time being a friend, they can bounce ideas off of you. You know, that's what I think. When your own kids, your own family needs something from you. And like that time is sitting with the kid doing homework or solving a problem with them or showing up at their games. I think your time, which everybody I think agrees on this point, is the most valuable asset you have. When you give people time, that's the biggest investment you can be in. So with your amazing family background, and so it sounds very talented as well, was there someone that spent time with you? Well, I mean, for me, it was everybody. I mean, you had aunties and cousins and stuff that were always around. Dad was always ever present. I mean, no matter what people may say about people being busy and how dads are and whatever, I don't remember ever looking up to the stands or for a recital or for a play or for anything, and he wasn't there. Mm. That's the thing I remember. I couldn't tell you if you bought me a Christmas present or whatever, but I can tell you this. You remember people that are there and people who are not. Mm. You know, so I just remember he was always there. So for me, that presence was great. And then plus you had family members. I, I, I'm five of six. So my siblings and I were always around each other. Sometimes a little too much, but, <laughs> but there was always someone around. And that time was way more valuable than anything anybody could have bought you or given You know, that's so beautiful talking about time and how valuable it is. Because as uh, an adult, you're not going to remember the, what you got, like you said, for Christmas. You don't remember those things. Even as kids, you don't remember what you got, la- even last year for Christmas, right? Or their birthday. But they remember when you showed up. Yeah, absolutely. And I talk about that, too. And I've overheard my son, who's no longer with us, telling that to his sister before. Like, you know, you know Jordan, you're going to remember when dad was here, who was here, who wasn't here. Like, that's the thing. You're going to remember who wasn't there. And there are people like, you know, I get it. Everybody can't be there the way you'd like them to be or for the right reasons. I get that. But at the end of the day, you remember when you're going through something and when things are changing your life, you remember who was there and who wasn't. Yeah, I'm just thinking back to when my dad wasn't there. So absolutely. I think it builds a trust right in the family dynamic right when you're you're you have something as a child and your parent shows up it really shows that child that they can trust that their parent is going to cheer them on and support them exactly it's what it also not so is trust it's it's it allows you to become a, a believer in yourself because mm. other people that care about you giving you that time you sent you have a sense of whether it's on purpose or not you have a sense of i have more value Mm. You know, it's always yeah. just find self for self yeah you do that's obvious because life can be struggling so many challenges in life however when you have someone valuing you and showing you that in their actions it, it's easier to you to find the techniques to value yourself you know you're just so spot on and so wise beyond your years so thank you for sharing that so I'm just thinking about all the things that you've accomplished was there Anyone in particular that, or a time that was stands out to you, that was kind of like the defining moment. I always like to call it that. Really had you say, you know, I, I, this is kind of my low spot, and I know that investing in people is important because people invested in me. Yeah, there was a there was a time. I think Jordan, my, my youngest, my daughter, she's off playing college. Now she's eighteen, but she was probably I think she was about to turn five or was five. And it was, I think it was 2008, maybe. There was when the real estate market was going on, the economy was having its problems. I think everybody was suffering on some level. And obviously, people suffer in different ways, not to diminish what, they, what other people have gone through. But during that year, I lost my dad to cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, her, Jordan's mother and I were splitting up. I had gotten laid off like a lot of people do. We were, we were losing our home. That was happening as well. And I was diagnosed with throat cancer. All that happened in the same year. Wow. And I was at my lowest, like, and I was coaching when the, that video, I'm a champion, and I was coaching at that time. And I was just going through all of that at the same time coaching that kid's team that, that won the championship that year. And I just think that, that every time I start thinking about how low things can get, and I've had other low moments and other low things occur, but mm-hmm. that year was probably the lowest, lowest point in my life. 
and what got me through that was a lot of it was what would my dad want me to do? How would mm. you know, what did my family go through? And I, what do I need to do like to honor what they've done to this? I mean, to just be to blunt, I don't think where, where people of color have, I shouldn't say an advantage, I should say a perspective is we have parents and grandparents that were at some point were dealt with racism and segregation we can't imagine. Like mm-hmm. We couldn't imagine it. Like where they couldn't live and be able to vote. And some of those things still happen today, but it was legal then. It was blatantly legal. And it's hard to talk to those kind of people in your family and say, you know, I can't handle school or the teacher doesn't like me or the coach is being mean to me. And you're looking at someone that couldn't even sit in a diner to have a cup of coffee right. and go to a public bathroom. You know how disrespectful that sounds to talk like mm. that? So I always sucked it up and said, no, nah, I'm not going that route. That's not going to do anything. Wow. What a story. What a story. So in essence, when you were diagnosed with throat cancer, did you lose your lose your voice and now you've kind of regained it and got it back. Exactly. It was yeah. a tough there was some tough transitions. And I don't know anybody's ever been diagnosed with a serious illness, whether it's cancer or anything else. As soon as someone tells you what it is, you don't hear anything else they say. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like hearing that Trump for Charlie Brown talk that that Bob Bonkart used to hear. I didn't hear anything after he said you have cancer. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear what he said. Yeah, I've gone to my parents' doctor's appointments where they were diagnosed with cancer and went did the same thing. Like I was there for note-taking for that reason because I knew that they would totally check out. And in my own things, when I've been diagnosed, it wasn't as severe as cancer, but it was something. And I was like, well, I don't even know what that is. What does that mean? And I have no idea what they told me after that. There is something that support that we don't really talk about. And you've just kind of laid it out in such a, a beautiful theme in your family is having that support. And I, it's just amazing to me of how much we can really overcome when we have support rather than thinking, I have to do this alone. Yeah. So that, when you go ahead. That whole doing things alone thing, I hate to put, I hate to put my own gender on blast, but there's, Getting over that macho ego BS is so hard for young guys. And I really believe in some ways it's harder for, for men of color, whether you're Hispanic or black, because there is this machismo BS that we get taught when we're younger. And understanding as you get older, it's okay to say, I, I care about you, or I love you, or I need help, or something like that. And I was very fortunate because my dad used to take me aside and I'll never forget, uh, you know, you're young and you're cocky and you're full of yourself and you that translates into your 20s a little too much. And he had to check me one time and just let me know. He goes, his mind, he goes, you're not the real man if you can't do these, these things consistently. You can't tell someone you love them and mean it. You can't ask for help and bend your needs, whether it's the God, the universe, the people that help you out. You, you can't say you're sorry and be accountable. And you can't, and you have to be able to look in your face and say, I was wrong and this is why. And here's what I'm going to do about it. Mm. And it has to be all three of us. It has to be. You have to affirm apologize and acknowledge and because if you don't someone's saying well i'm sorry you feel that i'm sorry you were upset about that that's not an apology mm. that's placating someone's emotions <laughs> absolutely you know, i'm sorry that i was late and didn't call and got you worried and next time i will call the future i appreciate i'm because i didn't mean to make you worry shit so that's the difference between mm. i'm sorry you upset i was late. those are not the same thing you know wow your dad was again he was wise beyond his years what a great lesson for him to teach you as a as a young man so take us back to you as a young man did you play football in high school what made you decide to join the army all of those things so yeah i played every sport i mean unfortunately kids nowadays because i don't know if it's because time sped up or because it's so competitive i don't actually know what happened but we even played multiple sports when we were kids mm-hmm. you know, i played every sport on the i played lacrosse i mean it was just i loved it but now you have to kind of pick if you're going to do this at another level. Right. And I get that, but I just, I, it's kind of a shame because usually the guys that are girls or young people that I saw make it to the next level, they were multiple sport athletes, usually. You know, they weren't someone that was singly focused, but I did that all the time. And for me and my dad I and mean, my brother and I, I know my dad really pushed that on us to keep us out of trouble. You know I mean? I was, and I was also a geek. I was those kids that read science fiction, fantasy books, comic books, played Dungeons and Dragons with my buddies, and played sports. So it was like, mm-hmm. you never know that scene you walk around, but I was that guy. Man. But it just kept you out of trouble, and it kept you focused, and it kept you seeing things past your neighbor. 
And when I was in high school, the pressure to play, as you mentioned, my family, mm-hmm. cousins, <laughs> and the pressure to play at another level was, let's just say, was really hard. I'm sure. I can't <laughs> imagine. I don't even think people knew my first name until I was a senior. It was always your little flower, your teammates, over. You had your Archie Jason's cousin, Archie, this. Guy. It was always somebody but me. And I remember the first time a teacher called and said, Hey, Jonathan, hey, John, huh? Like, I was shocked that someone called me by my name. Mm. I just felt the pressure of, and I totally admit, I've told this story a thousand times, is I felt the pressure of what am I going to do with my life? So I decided to join the military because I didn't know anything about the world. And so that got me into the world. Did I expect to become a combat veteran at the time? Uh, no. <laughs> but it worked out. And, and people always ask me, do I regret it? I go, not really. It made me who I am. I would not, I think that I wouldn't be as disciplined or responsible as well-rounded. I don't think I'd be as mature of a high view and see the world. I wouldn't be as compassionate to other people. And the mistakes that I have made in my life, which have been plenty like anybody else's planet, I've learned to handle them differently than other people and use them as a, uh, a brick to build something as opposed to let them destroy you. Mm. That's so true. It's a brick. Instead of a, when they throw bricks at you, you lay them down in the path to walk on. Yep, exactly. Yes, definitely. So when you got out of the army, you know, how long were you in? And then when you transitioned out, did you decide to go to college and play football there? Or did you just jump right in the NFL? No. <laughs> so I was in the military, I got out and was partially in the reserves, which was cool because it helped pay for some college stuff. And then I got the GI Bill and I used it on junior college first. And the truth of the matter is I had really kind of just given up on football. I tried to get, I gave it one more shot and played um, community college football at the end of college, which is out here in Cooper, California. And I was like, okay, whatever. And I got transferred school-wise to San Jose State. I was done with football. That was, I was like, I've done my thing. I'm cool. No problem. I've gotten, I'm at peace with it, which was probably lying to myself, but I said that. A bunch of guys in school were like, hey, dude, we're playing this flag football league, which, you know, they you know, used to warm up and kind of like train and stuff like that. So would you come out and work out with us? Because they had known me from Deanza. Like, like Liam Hoffman had gone over there and a couple other guys had gone over to play San Jose State. I said, sure, I'll go with you. And we're out there playing flag football, and there were some guys that were transferring onto the team, and guys were already on the team. And then there were these four kids that were like the blue chip, new incoming recruits that were supposed to be hot stuff. And one of these kids, again, Jay Rowland, this kid just, he just started jawing, started talking to me and talking to other people, but he was really singling me out for some reason. And I said, dude, you know, you need to stop talking, just calm down. This day, this is just flag football, slow your roll. And he just kept jawing and kind of going trash talking, trash talking. I said, and I got back to the home. I remember snapping. And going, I don't care what the next people play. You throw me one of those, but I don't care what they call who's covering me. Throw me the ball right now. And I made I made our quarterback throw me the next three plays. And I scored on this kid. And then I said, then we went on the defensive side. And I said, no, no, I got this kid. John, whatever the hell you want on the defensive I'm covering this kid. And I just I stuck on him. I was all over him. And then, I mean, of course, my mouth started flying after that. Like, dude, you're a first star recruit. They they wasted a, a scholarship on you. I was just going off and. You know, in hindsight, it was wrong, it was immature, but at that time, I was just on fire. Sure. And I look up, and apparently, like, people had started to come and watch, like, their family friends. There were coaches there. Like, I didn't see the crowd form because it had gotten out of hand. Uh, two days later, one of the coaches came and got me. I was leaving civics class. I remember distinctly. He said, hey, dude, I saw what you were doing on the field. Would you want to come try out? And I said, yeah. So they looked you up. I did, and you didn't think, hey. Like four years ago, you were a high school American to be able to happen. No, that's when we're born. I was like, I know your dad is, and that, that, like, that kind of stuff as a jerk. So I went and tried out, and I wasn't planning on seeing the field. I was like, they had four guys ahead of me. I was like, third or fourth or fifth and fifth on the depth chart. Uh, fast forward, I said, okay, I want to be on the field. I'm not going to waste my time out here. I'm not on scholarship. So I went to the special teams coach and said, put me on every special team punt, punt return, kickoff, kick return, extra point. I don't care. Just put me on special team. So I got, I'm going to be on the field every game. So I started playing, started playing, and our starter got hurt. And another kid had was just not, he was complaining because he wasn't in playing time. And instead of working hard, he was like, I'm going to transfer. So he did. And so he chickened out, whatever his word, or I can use another word for it, but he chickened out. Right. And, and then, I, so I went from being fourth to in the first rotation. So I was the mm-hmm. third guy that came off being a nickel back or an extra defensive back and went to, went to like a nickel or a dime packaging. And I literally told guys in locker room when, when I got back, I said, some of you guys that were ahead of you guys, you're not getting a job at that. Because it's not happening. It's not happening. And by the time I was going to my junior year, I was starting. And then I was it. Wow. Senior year, we went to a bowl game. We did really good. Our Terry Shea was our coach there. 
that I, I, I ended the draft. I didn't get, and coincidentally, the New York Jets picked me up in the sixth round. And true story, we were there three weeks. They had a, they call OTAs now, which is called voluntary mini camps for rookies, which is not voluntary. You have to show up. <laughs> I don't know why they call it that. So we went there and I got in line. I was, we were all stretching and warming up and stuff. And so I was in the first line. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six lines of people warming up. And anybody's ever seen sports, they know you put the warm up lines. I just, I was like, dude, like something was just not feeling right. My thigh pad wasn't feeling right. My shoulder pads weren't feeling right. I was not comfortable. So I went back in the locker room, swapped out the pads for smaller pads because I wanted to move better. And then where, where I was tighter, smaller, smaller shoulder pads. Went back out there and I went into another line because I wanted to make sure it looked even. An assistant comes out to the to the position coach and goes, he walks over, points to a bunch of um, people out there. He goes, okay, hey, guys, we invited too many people to these sessions. Lions, one, two, three, you're done for the day. What are we going to do with these guys? So if I had stayed where I was, I would have been just done for the day. I wouldn't have got that opportunity. So he wow. kept us for two weeks to give us an opportunity to make the team. We got film. We got all kinds of stuff. It was fun. I got cut, flew home on a plane. Just not to condoning these kids, but there's a life lesson here. We bunch of us got totally wasted and drunk on the plane. We were like, life's over. We tried. It was our moment, you know, it was our moment in the sun. At least we got to go into an NFL camp. Forget it. Let's just get drunk. And so we drank all the way. My dad picked me up and a few days we lived in Sunnyville at the time, Sunnyville, California. Went in the house. My mom said, Hey, there's some letters on the table for you. You should check them out. And at this time, go keep in mind there was no internet. There was no instant email that they would actually put things in a thing called a letter and put it in the mailbox. With a, with a stamp. With a stamp. <laughs> and it would be mailed to you. And you so, had to lick the envelope and the stamp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I walked in the house, I looked at there was letters on the, on the table and they were waiver letters. And so the teams let you know and been cut that you're available for other teams. And mm. then that is it. One for the Chargers, one for the, um, for the um, Seahawks, and one for the Raiders at the time. And my brother was playing with the Seahawks, and he one of the assistant defensive back coaches, which guy had gone over to the Rage when I went down in LA. So I called, I looked at the way with Dan, and he called, he called, he called me like an hour after. He goes, Hey, dude, heard you cut, I saw this in the letter out. Hey, come down here. I think I can get you on one of the practice squads, or get you cut. Just, just, just get on playing the down here. But when, when do you need me down here? And this is a Thursday night, like maybe 7 45. And you'd been drinking. Oh, drinking. Like all caps. <laughs> all caps. All day. All day. Like it was, ooh, like, you know, and so he's like, yeah, yeah, get down. What do you mean? You got to be here tomorrow. But you're going to be here tomorrow and go to tryouts at eight in the morning. Oh, my like, God. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, yeah. I just sent you a ticket. Just put on the airport. So I just, my mom had already heard the conversation and she's already making coffee. And it's like, grab coffee. Drove to San Jose Airport. Cool thing is, this is before 9 11. So there was no security, just ran up and went to the gate and everything. I get there, put sunglasses on, put a hoodie over my head, and I'm just trying to suffer through it. He picks me up at the airport at LAX. He drives me to the facility and says, Do you stay on my couch? Stay cool. Just dying. I'm just <laughs> thinking life is going to be over. We get up at 6 30. We get all dressed up, get down and get ready to get there. And I go through the whole trial. I, I had a pretty good job. I was, I was really actually impressed with myself. And I was like, good to meet you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for the opportunity. So I walk around to the back of the training facility after a few, and I just threw up. And I just threw up, threw up, threw up. So I made the practice squad. You know, long story short, I ended up making the roster eventually in my third year. But that I, would, I use it as a lesson to kids. When things go wrong, be ready and stay ready. Then you got to get ready. Because that opportunity may come up. Like, if I had not picked up the phone at that time, where I'd been really sick, where I'd decided to stay in New York an extra day and party with my buddies and sing Drown Our Sorrows, I would have missed that opportunity. I also want to point, you're so spot on, but I also want to point out another lesson there. And that is that to listen to your intuition. Yes. So you knew that you weren't, didn't feel right with the pads. Mm -hmm. So because you listened to that and said, okay, I've got to find something else. You weren't cut. Exactly. Yeah. Because what if none of the ex, none of the after that would have happened. Agreed. And I tell people all the time, it's like, the universe, whether regardless of where you are, faith-wise and spirituality-wise, I do believe as long as you all believe that there's something greater than yourself, there's something connecting us, whatever that may be. There's a reason why we're able to speak and think and do multiple languages and understand things and invent things. Is that, that comes from something. And whether it's the universe, God, Jesus, Allah, whatever you want to believe in, it doesn't matter. But it, it comes from something. And when you don't listen to that, I mean, like, not, I'm not talking about what someone's telling you to do. I'm talking about the, 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 the feeling you get 
if you don't listen to it, it's usually not a good thing. It usually doesn't turn out right. It really doesn't. I always tell people it's kind of like you're swimming in the water if you've ever been scuba diving. And you see and there's fish and stuff and the turtles and everything. And all of a sudden, fish and seals are gone. Yeah. You feel something's wrong. I'm sure it's had Oh, hi, Mr. Shark. You know what I mean? Just, uh-huh. <laughs> you just feel something wrong. And usually your instincts tell you that you're right. Mm, mm. So you're clearly uh, an amazing leader, have multiple stories, and you're now in been in the marketing business, not now, but you've been in the marketing business for you know 25 plus years. So what lessons that you learned from the military and the NFL that you can take into with you with, into the business world? I think it's work ethic because you can't get anywhere without work ethic and discipline. And people always ask you, well, discipline's interpretation. Like, well, not really to me. Uh, discipline is when you do things consistently and do the right things and no one's looking. You, 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 no one has to make you get up and go work out. No one has to make you double check that, that copy that you're about to send off to a designer. No one has to make you show up at work on time. You're doing that. And you have to have discipline and work ethic. You have to want to do things well and do them right. I have a neighbor who still does it to this day, believe it or not. He likes to make homemade chairs. Like a homemade rock oh. chair, a homemade... Homemade what? Homemade chairs. Chairs, okay. Well, he doesn't make a set. Like, he doesn't make four chairs for your dining table. He makes a chair for you, like for your desk or for a rocking chair or for your dad. And in the world of prefabricated chairs, I can buy it, no problem. He just, he loves doing it. And I I just, one time I finally stopped and talked to him about, why do you do this? He's like, you can just go buy a fabricated stuff and put it together for people. And he goes, he goes, really? And he goes, just sit down. I go, really? He goes, just sit down. And I sat down. And it was the most balanced seating I've ever done with my knees and my hips. I'm six five, so mm. it was super balanced. I go, dude, how come this chair is so balanced? And he goes, he goes because I used to watch you walk and work out at the track, and I started building a chair for eyesight for someone in your height because I want to make sure I got chairs for height people. And I looked at this guy that that discipline, that work, to do something so prideful in his craft that he learned that so well he could eyeball you, make a chair that was custom for you. That's mm. what I mean by. If those are things I think you learn from the military and professional sports is you got to have that level of education and you won't get to that level. It just won't happen. Mm. That's so true. I think there's something to be said also for having the ability to have that muscle memory of the eye. Mm-hmm. You know, the, and I don't even know what you call that, the eye, but it is true. A lot of times we have, maybe it's creativity, maybe it's in our, in our, in our essence, in our zone, it's our thing, but we have an eye for something. So a lot of times we don't even think about that or focus on it. But just like you said, like that's that guy's unique capability beyond unique, right? He has an eye to be able to see how your body is formed in order to make the right, adjust the measurements for a chair. Yeah. And and it goes back to like your questions. That work has to be discipline, like, to sit there and go, hmm, let me learn this crap enough to do this and then actually execute that. And then I just kind of why? Like, there's no guarantee someone's going to want to buy that chair. But it's, it's just that work having discipline to do something that way is just to me always is fascinating and incredibly moving to me when I see anybody do it in any way. Mm. So, what has been your most interesting experience, I will say, overall from military to combat? To, vet- to being in the military and now into the business world? There's been a lot of it. I mean, I could, in the military, I could, I could give you a bunch of stories where there's been, been scared to death and things have been half crazy and there's a bigger, a bigger world of um, impact of what you're doing. It's, you know, it's, not, it's never an easy situation to be in a situation where you're risking your life or people depending on your actions that can protect their life or you have to be in a situation where you may or may not fix someone else's life. That's a huge thing. I and mean, what it does is it's, it makes you see the world in a bigger perspective. But I think the most interesting thing was a huge milestone for me was when I was down in LA, we used to go work out around UCLA and, just, um, and work out with some NBA players and work out in the summer and we just do pickup work. And some of them would like, they'd have private sessions so there's nobody watching them and stuff. But sometimes they would pay you to go work out with them. And it's like, they're not playing super hard. They're like, hey, let me just get a run in, get some sweat. Could you play some defense on us? Hey, try forcing me left so I can work on my this. So we were a practice squad for these guys to keep in shape and stuff. And I had a real good friend named Marcus, and he was playing on the on the Lakers, NBA Lakers. He was on there scouting. He had gotten there, gotten cut, gotten there. He kept trying to get over that home. So he was always volunteering for these sessions, and they were short one night. So, hey, do you want to come with us? I said, sure. I'm an athlete. I'm competitive. I'm not. And I was actually pretty good at basketball. 
to their level, no, but that was pretty good. So all he just, they just wanted us to work on stuff and play defense stuff. And it was just one session, and it was right after the first Space Jam movie, and Michael Wood was trying to get back and coming back from his retirement, whatever. He was he's still Michael. And, you know, we're, we're warming up, and there was a rotation. You play two games, you, you're off one. You play two games, you're off one. And they wanted to consistently, like, they never took a break. You got the break. So uh, fresh legs coming at them to work on their endurance. Yeah. And you guys in there, I mean, anybody who has any delusions that a guy who is on a bench of an NBA team isn't, is, is not a good player is delusional. Like, there's a reason why that guy made that top 15 to 18 player on that squad playing ball. Mm-hmm. And the skills. I mean, you see the superstars, but everybody there is extremely good. Like, right. beyond anything you've ever known. So, we're going up and down the court, and I mean, we were having a pretty decent game. Just playing on again, in context, I don't want to spell records. I'm like, we're, they weren't playing full hours series where like it was a playoff game. So I'm coming down the court. And I do this move. I, I have this move that I love to do, where I put it through my left, under my left leg and come back over, and I stutter step, and I so I can get a pass off. And I'm hoping someone's cutting. And if they don't, I just pull up and try to shoot. And I wasn't the greatest shooter, but I was good. I was okay. But I always did that move, so I did it and got to my boy Marcus. He picks it, gets it right, like right in stride, lifts up and jumps it and starts, and then he starts talking. You know, like, oh man, see, I can play at this level. I can handle these guys. What? There's an NBA person. I'm like, whoa, whoa, dude, hey, hey, stop, calm, calm down. And I'm telling I'm telling him this not because I don't think he can handle it. That's his problem. I'm thinking, no, dude, they're paying us to be here. I'm not getting kicked mm-hmm. out. You know, fifteen hundred bucks a session is a, good, is a lot of money right now for me. So I'm trying to make his team. So stop. Okay. You're right. <laughs> yeah, you know, stop. You mess with my money. <laughs> but anyway, we're having a good time. And we actually won one of the scrimmages, quote unquote. We, we had to do the score, so we finished. We're running the sideline, trying to tie my shoes, and um, just getting, getting that heat. You know, my buddy high fives me, gaps me a little bit, you know, fist bumps. And it was, yeah. so they walked by, and a couple players said, yeah, game, game, game. And Michael says, hey, good game, guys. Appreciate your effort. That's all I said. I don't think plus plus like, did he just talk to us? Like, did he just like talk to us, talk to us? Like, and then so we're walking out to the parking lot, and you know, all of a sudden I hear this rule, like a, a really nice, like you can tell it's a nice car. Pulls mm-hmm. up to Ferrari and Michael's in the Michael's on the front seat, and BJ with Arch on someone was in the front seat with him. And he says, Hey man, just one more time, a good game. Really appreciate you guys. And he drove off. And we're heading to walk over to my boy Civic. So it's not the same thing. Right. <laughs> so we're walking and I'm like thinking to myself, like, dude, he just talked to us twice. I didn't think much of it than other I'm grateful and I got a story to tell my kids now. Oh my God, one day I'm a dad, I'm gonna say this, this. Um, they're gonna be like, Who's Michael Jordan? But whatever. A whole year goes by. A whole year. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm changing my diet, do a bunch of other stuff. I'm finally gonna like, this is my year. I know what to expect now. I've got this thing. I'm gonna make it off the practice squad and make it into the, to the full roster and play this year. And so we go down there and meet Marcus and I go, hey, dude, I'm not going to play pickup games with you guys this year because I don't want to twist an ankle or hurt something and miss my window. So I'm sitting there, no shoes on, just kicking it. I'm in sweats and I'm in workout clothes, but I'm not in my sneakers or anything else. All of a sudden, guys come in, they're ready for the session, and I'm just kind of sit back and chill. And there obviously there's no phones and stuff, so I can't film anything. So I'm just sitting there. He walks by us and he goes, yeah, we're running next. And these two guys are going, are going, are running on the same team, are running on the other team. And I'm like, looking at him, like, uh-huh. I, I'm not playing. I'm not playing day. And one of the guys looked at me and said, "Yeah, you are." I said, "Huh? Oh, okay." And I put me so I got some shoes on. I got my car. Put my shoes on. I didn't touch the ball. I didn't touch the ball one time. I didn't get a rebound. I didn't get a pass. I didn't get a shot off. I didn't get. I, I don't think I got the. In, I did an inbound pass one time to start the session, and someone stole that. These guys suddenly started playing like it was the world championship. So they're dunking on us. One, I mean, I've never been dunked on. I've been let people go by, people rip one and, or, out, or out speed you and out chase you. That's been dunk on. But I've never seen someone dunk in my face, knees and elbows, in, like your arms all over my face, like dunk in my face. I've never had that happen. And it was embarrassing. It was the most humbling, destructive, emotional time for me as an athlete. Like I had been through other things that were worse, but as an athlete to show, you start thinking, God, I, I'm, I'm not an athlete. I must suck. Like, mm-hmm. how could someone, even though it's their sport, that destructively on me? And the session's over, and this kid named Carl Elson, he used to play with the Denver Nuggets. And he came over and he goes, dude, he was talking about this here all the way from the hotel. What? He goes, he, was, he said he remembered you guys from last year, and he was going to let you know that you have a story for your grandkids. I was like, and that, and I told people this story over and over, I brag about this story, is that that guy was that competitive 
They were number two nobodies. I want to put nobodies mm. from a year ago because of a couple of plays when we were when we got jawed at. Yeah. That was how competitive. You watch things like the last dance, especially with Michael Jordan. He is like that. He is like that. And so are all of them. Not some of them. All, all of them are like that. But what it did was it made me go, I need to raise my game. So mm-hmm. I, I talked to a bunch of buddies who chipped in guy nutritionists. I started splitting my workouts where I did cardio and body work in the morning, football-related drills and workouts in the afternoon, and I ate weightlifting at night. So I was working out three times a day when I used to only just do a two-hour session. I was eating differently, and I made this water. I honestly don't think I would have made it had that not happened because it checked. Mm-hmm. It made yeah. me feel like you're not as good as you think you are, period, in anything, and you need to raise your game. Well, you know, I think what I'm hearing is, as you're talking is passion, right? Yeah. So you, I mean, those of you who know anything about Michael Jordan, you know that he's so passionate about basketball, but he's also passionate about his own practice, his yeah. own skill, right? And that, what a gift that he yeah. gave you to really invest in yourself, right? And then it it naturally overflowed, literally. It's really funny because I just tell my kids that story. I've told kids, I've coached that story. i told many friends, Jason and Jim know this story. And I, I honestly think I tell people that that changed my perspective on everything. Like, nothing frustrates me now more than I'm sitting in a bar at a stadium and, and there's people that you know never played a professional sport in their life. You can just look at them. Like, yeah. And they're right. going, like, I sucks. This guy's this way. Oh, he's garbage. And I go, no, dude, he's not as good as the other guys. You, he's not garbage because you don't know. Like, to just get where he's on this field exactly. or on this court was an astronomical feat that you have no clue about. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You, you told us how you got into the LA Raiders. So after how long did you play? And then when did you go into the arena football world? So I was there three years, two years in the practice squad, one year where I got, I got to the active roster and then I got injured. I had a, uh, we've never met in person, but I have a scar on my left leg from a compound crash. And they grafted it, put it back there. And, then, and it took me about a, almost a good year, a little under a year, to get back to um, functionality level. And wow. uh, it was a lot of hard work, a lot of determination, a lot of, there was, I'm not going to lie, there was several times I was ready to just quit and go with the whole king. Uh, I had experts telling me, like, specialists telling me that, you know, you're going to wear the brace for the rest of your life. You're gonna Obviously, I don't now. I don't, I don't have a cane. I even took some ballet lessons to get my balance back, all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. And then NFL Europe was happening. I was trying to get back. So I said, well, I, I got a slot in there. And went and played with Scottish Claymores. And it was really, really funny. Um, no disrespect to Scottish people. It's a beautiful country, beautiful area, but the food is awful. <laughs> it's just so I mean, we used to have to drive to Edinburgh Stadium or something like that. And it was about 35 minutes away from our inn our area we stayed. And we used to play there, but then you had to get on a train or a bus to someplace else to be able to find food food, like American or hamburgers, man. And I mean, I'm not trying to endorse McDonald's, but at that time, I didn't know McNuggets could taste like that. I mean, it was just, <laughs> there were days where I ate McNugget. It was like, you thought someone was a gourmet chef and mm. hey, it was that good. Well, it's because so. it's so different than what you're used to, right? Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah. I was like, God, I just want some food. And then from there, like, you know, the that was when the ball was kind of coming out. You know, and the San Jose State gets um, launched in 1995. Great program there. They were like, they were the Bowl champs several times. And Jan Arbett was a good coach there. Terry Malley was guys that coached them there. Great athletes came through there. I went and tried out that first year. I probably was going to make the team, but I just didn't feel it anymore. I was injuries, hitting the wall a couple times. I just didn't feel it anymore. I felt like we're going to do something different now. You know, that's when I started heading off to the marketing Kind of leaving, I wouldn't say leaving sports behind because I coached and I was around kids and I still train like that, but it wasn't my focal point. I was, mm-hmm. I was at peace with it. I really was. So with all the things that you've done, you've accomplished, mm-hmm. you've done some amazing things. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that being a father is probably the most important one for you. So what's, so what's next for Jonathan Flowers? Where do you see yourself going? It's really funny. I had this exact conversation with Jim and Jason a few weeks ago, a few days ago, actually. I was like, this is the first time in my life I don't have a, I have a plan for next steps. Um, my, my, I'm an empty nester. All my kids are out of the, um, out of the house. My middle son is no longer with us. So he's, uh, I'm working through that. But his sister is playing Division One volleyball in Florida, which I'm very proud of. Um, I still talk to my mom regularly, probably once a week, see so how she's doing. But as far as like my career is going and what's going on with that, after COVID, COVID gave me a lot of time to reflect. 
And right before COVID, I, I broke up with a woman that was like, I, I was like, are you really was the best woman I've ever in my life? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. like, that was, that's that one where um, you look back and guys actually like the one that got away or the what if, that's that one. And I, I literally call, talk to guys that were buddies of my close friends of mine when I'd seen them go through divorces or breakups. And I had been divorced myself. I mean, I watched them go through breakups and I watched how it broke them or just devastated them. And I couldn't understand. I mean, you come on, suck it up. Hey, come on, do us go to Vegas. Come on, get over this. Hey, come on, let's go date this other guy. I watched them go through this and I didn't understand how bad. And when I went through it, I literally started calling them. I'm saying, I am sorry. I was not the friend I should have been during that time. Mm. I'm sorry. I didn't understand. I should have been listening. I should have been more consoling. I shouldn't have been trying to give you advice and direct you. I shouldn't have been trying to fix you. That is the worst thing. I shouldn't have been trying to fix you. You know I'm going to So I learned a lot from that. So this last year between COVID, losing my son, losing that relationship, now my daughter moving on and now going through that whole recruiting process and trying to get her secure within college during COVID and the pandemics and career stuff. And at a point, I'm just reflecting. Like, what do I want to do for me now? Mm. You know, what I'm hearing is, is that, you know, what, what is, what is the impact that you want to leave? Yeah. Yeah. You have so many gifts and so much to share that your purpose is just waiting for you to grab it. And it's funny, people like that, and I've done all the things I always tell people, whatever vehicle gets you where you need to be, that's, that's positive. You should embrace it. I've done, I've done manifest, manifestations. I've done the whole college, um, law of attraction stuff. I've done prayer. And I've done meditating and trying to be the best you are. And obviously, I always fall back on another on one thing for me is training and studying. It's always my, my go-to fallback thing. I can train and study to get something that's always a good thing for me. But the clarity, I, one thing I do know is that I'm, I am no longer going to give myself. Uh, and this is why I hope people are listening about investing. Investing not only not in other people, but investing in yourself. Yes. I'm going to no longer take care of the world or the universe of, me, of myself while I'm not getting something back. I don't care what it is, whether it's a job or relationship or friendships. It's like, it is cool. I don't hate you. It's not a cool place to work. This is a good company. This is a great person. You work whatever. But I'm not going to give up myself. I'm not getting something back. Well, you know, that's really what this whole podcast started from is how we, when we invest in ourselves, then the byproduct is that it naturally overflows, right? Exactly. But that investing in yourself is the first part that a lot of people don't get or they they get stuck in it they don't get they get stuck in doing the investing in themselves they get stuck in the crap they tell themselves so they don't want to invest in themselves so you're just in the right spot now to just start investing in yourself that's beautiful yeah it's, uh, there was a tiktok video i saw recently and i did not know who the coach was and he was talking to somebody said like you know it's really hard to look at someone when your habits and your your habits and your methodology and your and your daily activity is not supporting what you say your goals are. Mm. Um, don't tell me you want to make the NFL when you're eating like crap, you're not working out, you're not training. Don't tell me you want to get you want to go get a full scholarship to school when you're not studying every night and doing all stuff. Don't tell me you want a better relationship when you're not being honest, you're not being caring, giving, you're not you know thinking about someone else's feelings. Don't tell me you want to be a better parent when you're not taking the time to invest in your kids and go see the games. This is going to help you home. This is all talk over here unless you do actions to support it. And I just don't understand. Like, and I was listening to the antithesis, and he's, the message he said was, it's okay to lie to me. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's okay to lie to those people. But stop lying to yourself. You know, like, you know, you know when you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You know when you're not doing things you want to do to get where you want to go. You know when you're procrastinating and pushing on. Now, is it always easy to overcome those things? Absolutely not. That's what training and studying and asking for help and going to counseling or whatever you may need. But those are that that process in itself is a process to get where you need to go. So that's putting in the habits and goals and objectives to make sure you get where you want to go to. You know, and I just I just have a real hard time with people who they tell me all these things they want to do and how they are and what they're going to be and blah blah blah. And I don't see any of the actual tactical day to day actions to support it. Well, actions are just a manifestation of our thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. So starts with our thoughts. So we have a goal in mind and then we have a thought about it that creates a feeling, right? And our feelings drive our actions and our actions get results. So if we're not getting the results we want, we have to back it up all the way to our mindset, to our thoughts, 
rather than our feel. And then it, that drives a different feeling. Exactly. Yeah. And I always have this um, discussion with people and people always, and people always mis, misuse this quote. They always say, you know, the definition of insanity is when you do the same thing over and over again, expect different results. That's not what the quote really says. It's not, if you look it up, it really is. It's as if, if the definition of it's, it's this. If you keep doing the same thing over and over again, not getting different results and you're not trying different things, that shows a lack of intelligence and that shows a lack of intelligence. And once you realize you have a lack of intelligence about that and you keep doing it, then you have to be insane because an intelligent person would stop and change things. And so people just shortened it because they didn't want to hear that. But that's what it really means. And it's like, I would even simplify If you keep doing the same thing over and over again, you're being stupid. And when you realize you're stupid and you still keep doing it, now I know you got to be crazy. You know, I was in an abusive relationship for many years and the statistics will tell you that people who are in a relationship like that repeat it. Yeah. Right. And I knew that when I came out of it and went, okay, I can't go back. Like I refuse to be in another relationship like that. So I had really asked myself the question is what is it that I don't know that I need to know in order to move forward? And I think so many people don't think about what it is they don't know. They only think about what they do know. Yeah. Yeah. So bravo to you to being in, in, in a great place. Well, I mean, like I told you the last one that I was dating, she was we were very much aligned in like a lot of things, which made her so, that's why she's so amazing. But she used to always say this to her kids and say this around me, was, you know, be comfortable being uncomfortable. Be comfortable being uncomfortable. And yes. Things will get better. And I, what I always loved was I realized through that relationship and with my, and my relationship with my children is the best relationships, you know, whether it's coaches, kids, you're coaching, your kids, uh, romantic or intimate relationship or with your husband, wife, partner, the best relationship with people that when you're around them, they make you better. Yes. Like, I always thought I was a good dad, but when I was around this person, I was a better parent. I've always thought I've had people where I was, I thought I was a good, I was a good coach and I still believe I'm a good coach, but there's people I've coached with that made me a better coach. Like I was like, wow, gotcha, dude, that was awesome. Then there's friends that make me a better friend because of how they are. And if you're with someone who doesn't, you can't, like you really can't sit down and write on a piece of paper and I'm around Shay or when Shay influenced my life or the impact Shay has in my life makes me better at. And you have mm-hmm. nothing. You're not, you need to reevaluate who Shay is in your life. Do you care about her as a friend or do you care about her because um, the role you want her to play in your life? You know, like, do you actually care about Shay as a person or I just like Shay because she plays this role in my life? You know, the second one is is never going to amount to right. you or her. But the first one will allow you to grow and you're going to be able to offer something to her as well. Mm, so true. So true. Wow. Well, we have just... Connect, you know, covered so many different topics. So thank you for your time and mm-hmm. tell us how people connect with you. I know we said LinkedIn, but do you have other social media links or anything else you want to give us? Yeah. If you want to look on Twitter, you can find that coach flowers at, at, on Twitter. You can also find me on, of course, LinkedIn.com slash Jonathan Flowers, which is why I prefer it's professional. You can send me an invite or talk to me or you messenger me through that way. But either one of those works very well. There's also my you go to YouTube and just look up coach flowers. I am the champion and put things in the comment field. I've gotten plenty of contacts and uh, speaking engagements or friends and partners I've met through that as well. Even all of those are very, very, all valid. Awesome. And where can they find your I Am A Champion, I guess, podcast that you do with Jason? So go to YouTube, um, search under 4D Athletes, I Am A Champion, and then just click on the videos link and you'll see a list of our links. I think we're up to episode nine right now, maybe 10, don't quote me, but you can put, we're definitely more than eight under that. Awesome. That's awesome. And uh, I just have a few more questions as we wrap up here. So what do you want to be, would be your legacy? What do you want to be remembered for? I think if if I was going to leave this world tomorrow, I've actually answered this question before. I just want people just to know that when no matter what you thought of me as a person, whether you dated me, whether you was a parent or whatever, your brother or whatever, friend, whatever, you always just know that, you know, I was there for you. Like, I would thought, if you know, like, no matter how it ended or went on, but you know, I got you back and I was trying to, I was, I was a stand-up guy. I really wanted to be mm-hmm. all of his guy. He was a stand-up guy, a stand-up man, a stand-up person. And that shows in just a few days that I've known you, you can definitely see that 
So you're already, you're living that. You're living your legacy now, Jonathan. I, I sincerely do try. Like people don't have to like me say that they explain that way. But, you know, I actually consistently and consciously get up in the day and try to be a stand-up guy every day. That's awesome. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your time. Thank you for rescheduling. And it's just been so fun and an honor to have you on the show. Mm-hmm. And I li- like to leave with this question of what phrase, scripture, or mantra are you living by right now? So my dad told me something, and I always say this to Jason and Jim and my buddies, Andreas, and all my, I say to my kids, and I have a lot of like really good friends that I say from a coaching mentality or just a mentor, just, or just friends. But the, the, the phrase I really try to live by every day, and then my dad gave me this one. And I, it's, if I could pick one thing out of all the many things he gave me, I take this one. Is if you want to improve or, or increase the quality of your life, you need to improve and increase the quality of the people and the things you let in your life. Mm. And, it's, and, it's, and I'll say it one more time, but if you want to improve the quality or increase the quality of things in your life, you want to improve or increase the quality of the people and the things you let in your life. It is not always easy to make those decisions, but it's not complicated either. You know, and I, I guarantee if you sit down and start doing that every week, I'm going to try to look at that. Then every day, I'm going to try to look at that. Watch how your life looks like in a month. I mean, just a month, you, you will be shocked. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you for being here today. Thank you, and I appreciate you, Shane. You know, you can always reach out, call me for anything, and I'm, and I'm always happy to help. I'm always happy to be there. Oh, well, thank you. The feeling is mutual. I appreciate that. And thank you for listening to The Power of Investing in People with Shay Sparks. Please go to our um, Apple podcast to give us a five-star review. And until next time, let's get fired up. Did you know that when you share the knowledge that you gained from an experience, it becomes wisdom? There is power in sharing your voice of wisdom inside a book to leave a legacy for generations to learn from your experience. And then add collaborating with other leaders. Your legacy makes an even bigger impact. Like co-author Joe Bogdan, who shares in his chapter how being better has no finish line. He said his experience in the hashtag Firestarters book project has been nothing short of amazing. From him being a first-time author, he loved our supportive approach and we earned his trust immediately. If you're curious about joining the next collection of Firestarters co-authors, then join the movement today at firestartersbookproject.com.